I'm going to start with a scripture today, too, a different one than Mr. Jones. You'll be happy to know. Uh, But if you'd turn with me over to Genesis chapter 18, we're going to look at a, a few verses here at the start of this chapter. So we begin Genesis chapter 18, and we'll pick it up right at the top, starting in verse 1. And this is a story about, uh, we see a little bit about Abraham and Sarah as we get started here. It says, Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. Now I imagine the setting of this. If you're sitting in the tent, the door of your tent, in the heat of the day, and you glance up, and all of a sudden there are three men right there, Maybe the heat of the day is causing you, your eyes to droop a little bit, right? Uh, we've all, uh, all been there. Maybe it was a slight afternoon siesta, and suddenly three men are right there. And so we see uh, Abraham here. It says, when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, bowed himself to the ground, and said, my Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Uh, it seems they were passing through, perhaps, Please let a little water be brought, wash your feet, rest yourselves under the tree. I'll bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. Verse 6, so Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah, said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. And so he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Interesting, uh, you know, in our times we would think, uh, oh, wouldn't he sit and eat with them? And obviously uh, he recognizes the Lord here, a matter of rank in some ways, we might say, and he is taking the role of a servant and serving them this food. I also find it just interesting, this is a total aside to the overall message, but verse 8 here, where he provides both butter and milk and the calf, uh, an interesting point against the concept of kosher uh, in the sense of not eating uh, dairy products or meat products together. Um, Obviously, we look at the uh, unity of the scripture and God's God's word, here the patriarch Abraham served the Lord and gave him both at the same time. And he didn't say, no, 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 uh, Abraham, we do not eat dairy and meat together at the same time. He certainly could have. Uh, So this is uh, one interesting side point on this verse. Now, uh, I'll pause here in the, the story. This chapter, chapter 18, is part of the account of where we know that uh, God told them that Sarah would bear a child in her old age and uh, also got called out for laughing about it, though we know from the verses that it was in her heart. Uh, And later we see there's a discussion between Abraham and God about how many righteous men would prevent the destruction of Sodom. That's where uh, uh, the Lord and uh, these other three men, likely angels, were on their way. Uh, when they pass by here. But did you realize this story, all of those events I just summarized in chapter 18, began with Abraham and Sarah providing hospitality? It goes on a little farther. As I mentioned, when uh, they're getting ready to leave, 
Abraham walks part way with them. This is down in, in verse 16. And then notice verse 17. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? And he goes on to, to give a, a few things. It's not often we get uh, a little insert verse that tells us what God is thinking at this point. And of course, this is Jesus Christ, the God of the Old Testament, referred to here as the Lord. But we actually see a bit of his thinking, his thoughts recorded here. He says, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? I wonder if perhaps uh, some of that thinking, as he was considering it, was influenced by the hospitality that Abraham and Sarah had just extended. This incident in Abraham and Sarah's life introduces this subject that I want to focus on today, that of hospitality. And to be specific, the title of this sermon is Given to Hospitality. Given to Hospitality. Now, throughout the Bible, Abraham and Sarah are spoken of as model examples for Christians today. I'll give you a few scriptures, rapid fire, so to speak, uh, but I won't take the time to turn to these. But in Romans chapter 4, verse 11, and also verse 16, Abraham is called the father of all who believe and the father of us all. Hebrews 11, verse 11, speaks of Sarah's faith to bear a child in her old age. 1 Peter 3, verse 6, cites Sarah's example of obeying her husband and then says of her whose daughters you are as long as you do well. James 2.23 tells us that Abraham was called the friend of God. And Second uh, Chronicles 20, verse 7, refers to Abraham as God's friend forever. Clearly, Abraham and Sarah occupy a respected position of leadership within Christianity. And although they were human, and they made mistakes. Just like all of us, they also had many character traits that God expects us to follow today. So let's begin with a few questions as we consider this topic of hospitality. If Jesus Christ appeared to you with three traveling companions, would you be as hospitable as Abraham and Sarah? Now, he doesn't appear to humans today the same way he did in Abraham's time. But the point remains, are you hospitable? Or would you say, look, uh, I'd really like to have you in the house, but it's kind of a mess. This week has been crazy. I don't have anything prepared. Or would you say our tent, uh, I mean house, isn't really nice enough to entertain? Or you might just say, I'm too tired uh, right now. Could you come back another day? Uh, perhaps. Do you think perhaps uh, Sarah gave uh, her husband a little piece of her mind? Uh, look, Abe, uh, that's real nice that you're inviting people over, but I need a little more advance notice uh, in the future. Don't go running off at the first stranger you see passing by. Uh, it reminds me, when I was a kid growing up in our church, there was uh, a man there, uh, husband and wife, uh, but he had one of these big, larger-than-life personalities, a big, booming voice. He loved to invite people over uh, for dinner at their house. I always wondered as a kid whether maybe his wife wasn't quite as enthusiastic as he was about this, since she did most of the work and preparation for it. Uh, who knows? Uh, they may have been very much on the same page in that, in that regard, but he always... Uh, 
liked to, to joke and laugh that he, he liked to invite people over all the time because he got fed better. Uh, they uh, had more elaborate meals uh, or, or things when they had guests. Perhaps Sarah felt a little bit that way, being sprung upon uh, to be a short order cook in this scenario. Today, we have perhaps many similar excuses. My house isn't big enough. My house isn't nice enough. I can't afford an, a nice meal. If I invite guests, I'll have to clean my house. You can see what a bind that would put me in. I'm not a good cook. I don't like to cook. It's too much work to entertain. And a thousand other excuses we might come up with. Uh, as human beings, we are masters of rationalization. Now, we see in this example, of course, that Abraham and Sarah entertained God, Jesus Christ. So, obviously, that is the right thing to do if he shows up at your doorstep. But what about other people? Do we need to be hospitable to them, too? Is this hospitality business just something optional, a choice we make if we feel like it, we're feeling a little extra energetic, or perhaps we enjoy doing it, but if we don't, no big deal. Let's uh, turn over to another scripture, over into Acts chapter 2. There's a couple of verses here. This, of course, is really recording for us the birth of the New Testament church. And we see a couple of verses within this chapter, towards the end of Acts chapter 2, that let us know that this was actually a, a significant part of the early church at that time. Acts 2, and we'll notice two verses here. Notice verse 42, and then we'll also glance at verse 46 while we're here. So Acts 2, starting in verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. In verse 46, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So we see this reference, perhaps you've heard it in the church, uh, introducing many a potluck, breaking bread together. It comes right from these verses, and it's speaking, of course, of that sharing of food and, and meals and fellowship, of course, within this New Testament church. Now, again, we still might ask, well, is hospitality optional? After all, these people were undoubtedly caught up in the excitement of the birth of the church. Pentecost had just happened, the giving of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that all just kind of simmered down a little bit uh, as they got older or the church went on. Or did they do this for another reason? In the first split sermon today, uh, as we were focusing on the life and template of Apostle Paul as he followed Christ, we, of course, also look at Christ's example. There are two occasions uh, in Matthew 14 and 15 where Christ feeds the multitudes, right, with fish and loaves, prays over them, spreads far beyond what they had uh, going in. And we know from other scriptures in 1 Peter 2 and in 1 John 2 that we're supposed to walk in Christ's steps, walk as he walked. And as Christians, followers of Christ, the New Testament church practiced hospitality. 
Let's turn to Romans chapter 12. This is one of these uh, important scriptures on this topic, Romans chapter 12, and we'll pick it up in verse 9. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9, and there's a paragraph here with uh, a number of exhortations for us as Christians and what our behavior should be like. Starting in verse 9 of Romans chapter 12, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. And then notice verse 13 as it pulls this paragraph together. It finishes with distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. These final three words here in verse 13 are where we get the title for this sermon today, given to hospitality. Let me share verse 13 with you from a couple of other translations that I think are, are interesting as we consider this topic. First translation is from the Bible in basic English. This is Romans 12, verse 13. It says, giving to the needs of the saints, ready to take people into your houses. And from the Good News Bible, it says, share your belongings with your needy fellow Christians and open your homes to strangers. Now, Expositor's Bible Commentary has uh, an interesting uh, couple of comments and notes about this particular verse I want to share with you. Uh, It's written there, it says, even under persecution, one should not allow himself to be so preoccupied with his own troubles that he becomes insensitive to the needs of other believers. To share with others is never more meaningful than when one is hard-pressed to find a sufficient supply for himself. When this sharing takes place under one's own roof, it is labeled hospitality. The Greek term is more expressive than English, for it actually also means a love of strangers, or a love for strangers. Paul's word for practice, being practicing hospitality, or in the New King James Version I just read, given to hospitality, is strong. Um, calling for an undiminished ardor in extending this courtesy to traveling believers. The Lord had encouraged his disciples, uh, the 12, to depend on such kindness during their missions. Without it, the spread of the gospel during the days of the early church would have been greatly impeded. And with it, the church in the house became a reality. What sanctified this practice above all was the realization that in receiving and entertaining the traveler, those who opened their doors and their hearts were receiving and entertaining Christ. I remember as a teenager growing up in the Church of God that many times we had regional events, sporting events, uh, talent shows, uh, different opportunities, teen proms, And there was always a a request for people who were willing to provide housing to those who were traveling in. We still have that uh, even now from time to time in various regional events that we hold here in Dallas and the Texas area. 
I remember also, I grew up uh, for many years in the area of Spokane, Washington. Uh, we had a feast there a couple of years ago. I was able to go back with my family and see it. My father, as a pastor and festival coordinator, meant we didn't go anywhere for the feast for several years. We stayed in Spokane. Now, sometimes that meant we would stay in a local hotel. At other times, we chose to stay in our home. But there were times where people would give their homes up because they were living in the area. They were going to go to the feast somewhere else, but they would provide housing for other brethren who were traveling in or may host family members. We had uh, extended family who came and stayed with us in our home one year and kept the feast there with us that particular year. And of course, we, we still see those needs from time to time in the church. It's a wonderful way we can give and extend hospitality. Now, as I became older and started working, I've had the opportunity to travel quite a bit with the type of work that I do and attend services in many different parts of the country and even different parts of the world uh, from time to time. And many, many, many times I have been invited to join other members uh, for a meal after services. In some locations, of course, they're bringing food together either for snacks or potluck or, or meal there as well. And when you walk in to services and you don't know anybody, it is incredibly warming to uh, have brethren warmly greet you, invite you to, to stay and extend that spirit of hospitality to you. Of course, this raises uh, some ways that this is a little different perhaps for us in both our location here and in modern times. We read from the Expositor's Bible Commentary earlier that the Greek here is speaking of hospitality primarily being focused on entertaining or giving to others within your home. But of course, when these scriptures were written, they did not have the dining and restaurant options that are common in our, our modern world. Um, certainly when traveling and uh, attending services in different places, I've often been invited to have a meal with someone out at a restaurant, and I have certainly felt the spirit of hospitality present, uh, present there and think is a great extension of this concept. So it doesn't just have to be in our home. We can still uh, extend this. Now, another factor that I want to raise as we consider this topic is a little bit of what can be a challenge for a congregation the size of Dallas and in a hall as big as this one. Uh, in many of the places I've visited over the years, the congregations can be quite small. When you have a, a room of, with 10 people in it or 20 people in it, it is immediately apparent if there's somebody uh, there one week who isn't normally present or a traveler is coming through. In this hall, it is much harder to tell, right? You've probably all uh, considered that. Uh, I've heard from some visitors over the years who've come through Dallas that they've had a hard time sometimes connecting with the brethren here. And I think that it can happen that that gets overlooked by, uh, by any of us considering the size and how spread out we are in this particular hall. One, as I was considering this point, I... Uh, I thought of a suggestion that I might share with all of you, and I share this with myself as well. I'm not perfect in this area, uh, so it's an encouragement for me, but also for all of you. Many of us sit 
in much of the same area within services each week as we sign up uh, and given the current circumstances. But if you see someone in your section, in the area where you're sitting that you don't know or you don't recognize, go say hi, introduce yourself uh, and get to know them. You might meet a visitor, you might meet another person who attends here locally that you just haven't had a chance to get to know yet. We do have, of course, new people coming through each year and attending Foundation Institute. Many times, some of their family members come and travel uh, to spend time with them throughout the year or at the beginning or the end as they're moving. And of course, we live in an area with a vibrant economy that's growing. and Many people are moving to the area over time as well. So just a thought to share with all of you and uh, also with myself as something that we can all do to lend a hand and look out for those who are visiting or new members who are coming and spending time with us uh, here in the congregation. While we're here in Romans, I want to flip a few more chapters ahead. This is to Romans um, chapter, oh, we're also, we're already in 12, fantastic, just a few verses farther ahead, pardon me, wrong segue. So look down at verse 20 while we're still here in Romans chapter 12, same chapter. But here we see, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I'm not suggesting in any way that the new person you say hi to here in church is evil or that this verse applies to them. But it is... Uh, interesting to remind us that here this concept of feeding your enemy, giving him drink, being hospitable even to your enemy, that this spirit of hospitality is something we should have, not just with the nice and friendly people we meet uh, here at services, but frankly, even to those who don't deserve it. As Christians, we need to take the high road in all things, in all situations, and hospitality is certainly included in that. Now, I'm not going to turn there, but there are a couple of verses over in 1 Timothy. One is in chapter 3 that tells us hospitality is listed as a prerequisite for those who would serve as elders in the church. And then in chapter 5, also in 1 Timothy, it says uh, it's also a requirement for those widows who would receive church assistance. But let's turn together to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9. There's a verse here in 1 Peter that uh, speaks to this need and even more broadly, not just a requirement for those two groups of people, but applicable to all of us. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9. First Peter 4, verse 9 says, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So as I mentioned, this isn't just for elders. It's not just for widows. It's not just for anyone. It's just for all of us as Christians. And it brings up this concept of doing it without grumbling. You know, doing 
hospitality, giving in hospitality, with the right frame of mind is very important. Frankly, we we see that across a lot of Christian principles. Doing the right thing, but with the wrong attitude, does not equal Christian success. We have many scriptures throughout the Bible that remind us of that fact as it relates to giving offerings, as it relates to fasting, as it relates to how we keep God's Sabbath day. If any of those things are done for the wrong reasons or grudgingly or, you know, while pursuing our own pleasures, there is no, no real value in that. We're just going through the motions. This verse here in 1 Peter tells us hospitality is another one of those items. If you do it to tick the box, but with the wrong spirit, it's just not, uh, there is no gain. There is no, no purpose in that of going through the motions. Doing it well means doing it cheerfully and with a good spirit. And that's going to be encouraging to your guests, strangers, friends, or otherwise. Now, these scriptures tell us that hospitality is supposed to be part of our way of life. It's supposed to be something that we're supposed to to practice. And it's one way that we fulfill the great commandment that Jesus Christ gave us. Uh, Let's turn there for a moment in John chapter 13. This is very well-known scripture to us, or the new commandment uh, as it's spoken of. John chapter 13 Let's look at verses 34 and 35 here. These words of Christ, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. This is a way that we can show love to our fellow brethren. In verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's interesting we think about this, this is a commandment. It's not optional in that sense. And it's also, he says, a way that others will recognize the love of God in us, that we'll be noticed for this, so to speak. Giving of hospitality is a visible way we can serve. There are many other ways that we serve that are less noticeable, but this is one that can be noticed and is an important part of keeping this commandment. The other thing as I was reflecting on this was that perhaps you've seen uh, one of these lists. Uh, I've seen it online. I didn't print one out and bring it with me, but there's something you'll see them on Facebook occasionally or other places where it says, 10 things that require zero talent. And it'll be like, show up on time, keep your word, uh, bring a good attitude, and they'll list these things. I obviously haven't memorized all 10 of those, right? But as a Christian, we could also say hospitality is one of these things that you don't have to have a special spiritual gift of hospitality given to you to serve in this area. There are some people who are especially gifted in this area. You probably have some people who who come to mind in your experience in the church over the years, and we should learn from them and emulate them. 
but it's not a requirement to be hospitable. And it's also something where we can't just say, oh, I'm, I'm not especially gifted in that area, therefore I can write this one off or ignore it. We all have the capacity to do something. Now, there are some challenges that we also may face uh, in, their, in giving in this way. Some of us, uh, some people in our congregation and within the church body of Christ have mates who are not in the faith, and that can create special challenges in being able to be hospitable with others. But there are ways to work through that, perhaps. There's an opportunity to be hospitable to the unconverted mates, friends, uh, as well as to church members. Members with mates not in the church may improvise in some areas. Perhaps they invite someone to meet at a restaurant or at a coffee shop and meet up. Uh, perhaps uh, they invite some overs if their mate is away uh, or traveling, if they don't want to be involved. But cultivating friendships with church members with common interests is an important way to strengthen one another and continue to, to strengthen our faith and stay connected within the body of Christ. The second challenge uh, certainly can be a, a small house. Uh, we have many FI students who come in every year and are living in small apartments, right? Uh, you can probably think back, uh, many of you, to college days or early in your careers and professional life where you didn't have a lot of space. But you can have a small group over. There's nothing that says you have to have at least 10 people or it doesn't count. You can have one person. You can have two people, whatever the space allows. And certainly when the weather is nice, you can meet, meet up and do something outside, meet at a park, or make plans that way. And certainly, you can also have different people bring different things. Many of you have been invited over to others' homes over the years. What's the first question you often ask? What can I bring? And uh, many do a great job of uh, inviting a few friends. Everybody brings a piece of the meal, and it, it all comes together. Others think, oh, I don't have the fancy dishes, uh, you know, or the uh, fancy furniture that I envision as being the perfect, uh, I don't know, Martha Stewart, William Sonoma, made-for-TV view of uh, hospitality. Well, all of us can make do with what we have. The purpose of hospitality is fellowship, is extending love to our fellow members. It's not showing off what you have or don't have. Nobody else really cares about that. I know as uh, a kid, my parents would have guests over sometimes uh, after church services. We'd have to set up card table or folding tables. Uh, it wasn't particularly fancy. Uh, of course, at, at that time as well, as I was growing up, there were often many new people coming into the, the church. And some found it a little intimidating to come over to the minister's house for dinner. You know, they're uh, feeling a little stiff, right, uh, coming in and kind of watching to see how, how this is going to go. Uh, my parents found one way to help with that. They would often serve tacos. No silverware, eat with your hands. Hard to stay real stiff and formal if uh, you're, you're eating, uh, eating with your hands and, and fellowshipping like that. Perhaps that's a, a little tip you've used or can use going forward.
And of course, the other thing all of us can feel from time to time is we can all get tired, right? Uh, the weeks, the six days we shall work can feel very long sometimes. Thankfully, God commanded all of us to rest on the Sabbath day, which can be a great opportunity to connect and spend time with one another. We can keep it simple, we can rest up and serve. Really what hospitality requires at the end of the day is primarily desire and time, right? These aren't things that take special talents or special gifts. It's willing to give of our time and to have the desire to do so and to give and share those with other people. So let's wrap up. We began today with the account of Abraham and Sarah entertaining God and Jesus Christ uh, as he was. And do you think that something similar could happen today? Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 13 for a moment. I want to draw your attention to a couple of verses here at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, starting in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 2. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. I think this will be a fascinating question to ask in the future as to whether this happened to any of us. And you'd be like, what? Really? Might be more than you think. The verse here was not written as a throwaway line. It has certainly happened. And I would say it's continued to happen at times throughout history. But as the saying goes, you have to buy a lottery ticket to have a chance to win, which I'm not advocating at all. That's a horrible use of your money. Please do not buy lottery tickets. You have to have some hospitality in order to even have the possibility of unwittingly entertaining angels, right? And that should be true for all of us. Of course, to get a chance to ask God that question, we have to make it to the first resurrection, to have the opportunity to find out whether that's happened to us or not or to people we know. And there's a wonderful event described in Revelation 19 for those who do make it there. And I want to conclude by looking at that with you here today. Revelation chapter 19. We'll look starting in verse 7 down through verse 9 here. Revelation 19, starting in verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Speaking of the church, of course. Verse 8, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. In verse 9, then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. This marriage supper for all those who are faithful to the very end, like the Apostle Paul, like many who have gone before us, the great cloud of witnesses, and like all of us strive and hope to be, are going to be gathered here at this event, this marriage supper. First of all, I'm I'm looking forward to being there. I think it's going to be an amazing event. And you may recall, as we read around the time of the Passover each year and some of Christ's final words, he said he would not drink of this fruit of the vine from that time until this event happens, this marriage supper. Second, I'm curious about what's going to be served, right? What? It's obviously going to be the most amazing food and drink and wine you have ever had. <laughs> what God is going to be hosting us, providing hospitality to his bride, the church. What will be served? What will that dinner be like, this marriage supper? And certainly, if God, our Father, is hospitable, Jesus Christ is hospitable, of course, so we also must be, just as they are. Hospitality is not just an optional social grace. It is at the heart and core of true Christianity. So let's all make sure it is part of our lives.